No, 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 no. I don't like to think of myself as greedy. It's just when I see a good opportunity, I take it. Survival of the fittest. Hey, is, is this anyone's? Oh, hey, bro, that was my uh, Oreo. But, but you didn't say anything. Well, yeah, I had headphones in, so I didn't hear you. <coughs> Tony. Hey, stop. No, no. Tony, no. Church, it's good to see you, good to be with you wherever you might be joining us from, whether that's one of our Rochester area campuses or perhaps you're joining us online. We're grateful to have you here. My name is Nate. I'm our Webster campus pastor and uh, excited to have this opportunity to continue us along in this series called Those People, where we are dealing with and talking about people that get under our skin and they can be difficult to be around. They can just be difficult to even like and so what do we do how do we navigate those relationships how do we interact with those people and i think in a series like this it can be so easy for us to to be externally focused where we can be thinking about that person that immediately comes to mind and one of the dangers is that all we get out of this series is thinking about those people when we also want to be mindful of how some of these traits do show up inside each and every one of us and so as kind of like a foundational passage of scripture that's kind of rooting this series. Um, we see that in Matthew chapter seven, where Jesus reminds us and he tells us, look, there's issues we see in other people, but at the same time, we need to be mindful of our own issues. He says this in verse three, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So we all, as we go through this series, we have to keep coming back to these words and remind ourselves that we all have that thing that makes us one of those people. And what we see in others is often what we don't see in us. We're all one of those people at one time or another. And last, last week, Drew kicked off our series by talking about those proud people. And he talked all about pride and how pride is really all about me first. It's where life revolves around me. It's all about me, myself, and I. And today, we're going to be looking at uh, our next person, which is a close cousin to pride. And we're going to be talking about those greedy people, people that struggle with greed, right? They're never satisfied. They always want the next greatest and latest thing. If it's out there and it's an option, they have to have it. Uh, those greedy people, they, they look like this, right? Why, why get a large size drink when I can get extra large? I know I have the iPhone 10, but didn't you just see the iPhone 10 XS just came out and I gotta have it. I know I don't really need these shoes. I know I don't really need these jeans, but man, that sale, the sale was just amazing. I just, I couldn't pass it up. I had, I had to get those things. It's a person in the office, right? Maybe you've experienced this. The person in the office, you know, someone generously brings in a plate of cookies, but there's that person who takes quite a few more, one, two, three, four, or five back to their 
office. It's the person in your, perhaps your office as well, who right, takes credit on a project when in reality the majority of the work was done by, by the majority of everyone else on the team and they kind of actually just complained the whole way through the project. Right? We've all encountered those greedy people and also pe- people aren't just greedy with stuff and with possessions. Those greedy people are also greedy with their time. Right? They don't have time to get, their know, get to know their neighbors, to invest in their neighbors, to spend time with them. They don't have the bandwidth within their schedule to serve in the community and to help with people that have significant needs. They can't even spare an hour of their time to come alongside of a friend in their community group that they know is hurting because they're greedy. They're greedy with their time. They're greedy with their stuff, their possessions. All of those are examples of greed that take root in our lives. And look, Greed impacts every single one of us here today. None of us are exempt from the realities of greed because we're all born with a preoccupation for possession. Every single one of us, we're born with a preoccupation for possession. We see this in kids, right? What's one of the first words that a kid learns? It's mine. This is mine. In fact, if you were to go in the hot spot at any of our campuses right now and find a two-year-old and take a toy away from them, Just watch what happens, right? Their attitude and actions will put on display this very principle. Um, Right now in in our family, my wife Emily and I, we have have three kids. We have Olivia, she's nine years old. We have Landon, who's six, and Claire, who is four. And right now in our family, one of the things we're dealing with is that whenever one of our kids has a birthday, we are also simultaneously getting birthday requests from our other two kids. For example, Olivia, she just turned nine, and our family, we all pulled our, our money together, and we got her a pretty big gift. We got her um, a bike, and um, we gave it to her. We had the party. Everyone was super excited, and my son Landon sees his older sister getting a bike and immediately comes over. He's like, Dad, when is my birthday? I just want you to know, I want two Nerf guns, I want a PlayStation, and I want Fortnite. And I'm like, dude, first of all, hold on for a second your birthday's not until the end of August, so just settle down for a second. But where is all of this coming from, right? It's coming from this principle that we're all born with this preoccupation for possession. So we see other people getting things, and then we look at what we have, and there's this craving for more, and that craving is greed. And I, I think, though, sometimes what we have to be careful about is sometimes when we think about greed and the way we measure or determine whether a person is greedy or not, is we, we determine that based on their stuff and the things that they have, but that's not true. That's not how greed is measured. Greed is not measured in possessions, but in affection. Greed is not measured in possessions, but in affection. Meaning, you can't go out into the parking lot right now at any of our campuses and just start walking down the line of cars and say, man, this person is greedy. They should not be driving this car, that's way too much money. This person definitely isn't greedy. In fact, I'm not even sure if this car passed inspection. Is it safe for this car to be on the road? Oh, oh th- this person, they have a healthy sense of contentment, right? Because of their car. Tr- it doesn't work that way. You can't point and look at the stuff that people have and determine whether or not that, that person, person um, is greedy or not. It's, it's a matter of the heart. In fact, we see this throughout the New Testament in the Gospels where Jesus is continuing to talk about different matters and he talks a ton about money and possessions and he's always driving after people's hearts. Look at what he says in Luke 12, verse 15. He's talking to a crowd of people and he tells them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And what Jesus is trying to help them understand is, look, 
Life is not just about acquiring more and more stuff. That's not what life is about. And later in that very same chapter, in verse 34, he goes on and he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what Jesus is saying here is, look, whatever has control of your heart, has control of your time, of your money, of your affections. Greed is a matter of the heart. And I, I, I think most of us would agree with this. And I think we would agree with the words of Jesus that we just looked at here, right? We, I think we would all acknowledge or agree. Okay, we know, right? The measure of our lives is not in what we own. But here's the problem. The problem is we live in a world and a culture that actually says that that isn't true. It says the exact opposite, in fact. Everywhere we go, society tells us your life does consist in the abundance of your possessions, right? We're living in a culture that just says, man, if you can just get a nicer, newer car, your life will be better. You will be more happy. If you just had a little bit more square footage in your house, you would be happier. If you could have that next latest gadget or technology piece, your life is going to be better. And not only does it impact us individually, but there are like industries that are driven by greed. There's dishonest banks who give people mortgages that the banks know they can't afford just so the bank can make money and foreclose on the house. There's dishonest credit card companies that set up a system of changing payment dates without making it obvious to the customers to encourage defaults so that they're able to charge very high interest rates. There's dishonest businesses that set up pyramid schemes to steal money from investors. So greed is everywhere. It's inside of us. It's in our hearts. And we see greed driving so much of the world and the culture around us today. And so as we dive a little bit more into the realities of greed, what I want to do is introduce us to someone who knows a lot about greed from the Bible. Someone who was one of those greedy people. He had it all. So turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And if you're using one of our Bibles, you'll, you can find that on page 542. And Ecclesiastes, it's, it's a book you may not be super familiar with. It's a book that's kind of sandwiched in the middle of the Old Testament. It might even be in that part of your Bible that isn't as worn in. But I want to introduce you to a man named Solomon. Solomon, he was the, the man who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. He was one of the kings of Israel. And Solomon was unique because at one point in his life, God told Solomon, look, you can ask for one thing and I will grant that thing to you. So the one thing that Solomon asked for was for wisdom. So God gave him wisdom. And as a result of that wisdom, Solomon accumulated a lot of, of wealth. He had it all. In fact, in fact, 1 Kings 10.23 kind of gives, a, gives us a picture into who King Solomon was. It says this, that King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. So this is Solomon, the wisest man to have ever lived, one of the richest men to have ever lived. You won't find a man in the Bible that had more money, more stuff than King Solomon. He'd be like the Bill Gates of the Bible. And when Solomon gets to the end of his life, he begins to reflect on what he has seen, what he has learned, and what he's experienced. And the book of Ecclesiastes is really just a collection of King Solomon, of his thoughts, and what he has learned about life. And what he unveils for us here in chapter 5 is he kind of points out and describes really the belief system that drives those greedy people. This is what drives them. This is what they're chasing after, but the reality are they're lies. They aren't, they aren't true. So Solomon tells us, we're going to jump into verse 10 of Ecclesiastes 5, and the first lie that we're going to look at here that those greedy people believe is that money will satisfy my heart. They believe that money will satisfy 
their hearts. That's what those greedy people believe. And look at what he says in in verse 10 of chapter 5. Solomon says, whoever loves money. Let me pause there for a second. Those three words are significant. Notice he doesn't say whoever has money. He says whoever loves money. Because you can be poor and love money. You can be rich and love money. Meaning it has nothing to do with your income. It has everything to do with your heart. So he says whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. So Solomon is telling us here, look, that if material things are the focus of your life, if that's where you're trying to find meaning, purpose, worth, value, significance, if you're trying to find it in stuff, just know you'll never find it there because no matter how much you have, it will never be enough. And I think we can all relate to this to one degree or another where we can look back over our life and we remember that one item or this one thing, like if, and, and like if I could just have this one thing, my life will be complete, my life will be better, I'll experience contentment only to receive that thing and then a few days later, a few weeks later, that, that feeling has, has wore off. I know for me, I, one of the clearest examples of this for me in my life was when I was 16. And like most 16-year-olds, uh, right, the greatest thing that could happen to you is obviously, number one, getting your license, and then number two, being able to have your, your own car. And so I remember when I turned 16 and I got my license, and I um, was asking my parents and talking with my parents about the possibility of, would I be able to have my own car? And you know, initially they're like, sorry, Nate, it's just not, not going to be a reality. There's no way that we can afford another, another car. And so I remember hearing that, but it wasn't long after that my parents told me, hey, Nate, good news. Actually, you are going to be able to get a car. Your aunt, uh, aunt and uncle, they are moving, and they're essentially giving. They're donating their, their car to our family. And I remember hearing that news and thinking like, this is the greatest news ever. I, I'm going to be the man. And I went to a small private school. So like having your own car was a big deal. Like Nate Miller was going to be on the map. I was going to be the man. I was going to have independence. It was going to be the coolest thing. In fact, I have a picture of that car. I'll show you here. It was a 1991 blue Ford Festiva. And um, <laughs> I started, I was excited. I got the car, man. I started driving it around and I, I quickly began to realize that people did begin to notice me. (laughs) But then I quickly began to realize it wasn't because they thought I was cool in this car. It was like, what is that thing? And it wasn't long after that, before the joke started to come of like, dude, can you even take that over 35 miles an hour? Like, can that go on 104 or 590 or the throughway? Is that like a glorified goat cart? Like all the stuff began to roll out, right? And it didn't take long before I didn't even want to be seen in that car. So like this, this desire and hope that I had of like, this car is going to provide all, man, that quickly went, it went away. It wore off. And we can relate to that. And look at the end of verse 10. Solomon kind of describes like thinking this way. He says, look, this too is meaningless. He says, chasing after these things, it's meaningless. And Solomon, look, he figured it out. He had everything the world could offer, and he's telling us, look, if you're going to try to fill the emptiness that's in your heart with more and more stuff, you're never going to be satisfied, and it's going to be like chasing after the wind. So the first lie that those greedy people believe is that money will satisfy their heart. The second lie that those greedy people believe is that wealth will solve all of my problems. We can believe that, right? If we just have a little bit more money, all of my problems are gonna go away. If I could just make this amount of money or have this income each year, life is gonna be good. All of my problems will go away. But what's interesting is actually in the next few verses here, Solomon begins to tell us that actually not only do wealth and possessions not solve our problems, but they can actually make life 
more complicated. Uh, And he goes on and he says, greater wealth can bring greater demands. Greater wealth brings greater demands. As your wealth increases, so will the people around you who will help you spend it. Um, Look at what he says in verse 11. He says, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. So as your wealth increases, so will the people around you who will help you spend it. And this is so true. I remember when my wife Emily and I, when we first got married and we moved into our first apartment, it was a tiny little apartment. I can tell you one of the things we never got in the mail were ads to refinish our basement, to put siding on our house, new windows, refinance our mortgage. We never got any of those ads. Why didn't we get those ads? It's because we didn't own a home. Well, several years later, we saved up some money. We were able to purchase our, 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 our first home. And what began to show up in our mailbox? Ads to do all of those things that I, just, that I just told you. So the more money you begin to make, the more you're going to notice people trying to help you figure out how you, how you should spend it. So no matter how much you have, there's always going to be opportunities and places um, for it to be spent and people to help you do that. Solomon goes on and he says, greater wealth also brings greater stress. Greater wealth brings greater stress. Look at what he says in verse 12. He says, the sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much, but as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. Solomon is saying here, look, wealth isn't a bad thing, nothing wrong with it, but just understand this. The more you have, the more you have to worry about. And, uh, you know, I, I remember graduating from high school and driving off to college in my tiny little car, and I could fit my entire net worth and room for a passenger in that car, right? Because I just didn't have a lot as a recent graduate of high school heading off to college. But now, a number of years later, my life is just a bit more complicated than it, than it was back then. I'm married, um, two cars, three kids, we have a house, we have accounts, we have insurance. Like, life is just a little bit more complicated now. And, and Solomon is just telling us, look, having more doesn't necessarily make your life easier. In fact, it can make your, your life more complicated. He goes on and he also says, greater wealth can bring greater pain. Greater wealth can bring greater pain. Verse, verse 13, he says, I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner. Now, now listen, what I'm about to tell you, you will never, ever hear you won't hear this. No one's going to tell you this. You're not going to hear this in, in culture today. You won't hear this on the news. But you can actually have enough wealth that it will harm you. I know some of you right now are like, okay, well, I just would love to try that out. Could I just test drive that for a little bit just to see if that is true? But, but Solomon, remember, he had it all. He knows. And Solomon is saying, look, there's potential that you can be so wealthy. It can be harmful to you. And it can be harmful to your family. I mean, for example, take the guy who's worked so hard to work his way up the corporate ladder and he makes it to the top, but only to lose his family along the way. It's like the kids who don't feel loved or appreciated by their parents because their parents are working so hard to maintain a particular way of life. It's like the husband and wife that, man, they they seem to have all this world could offer, but they're constantly frustrated with one another, arguing with one another because they're trying to keep up with the debt load and the credit card payments. Even Christians, uh, we see this in our life. And Christians in this society where we can be so busy and get so caught up in our pursuit of the American dream that we just don't even have time for God. So it's true, man, greater wealth can bring greater pain and not even in having more wealth, but also in losing it as well. Solomon goes on in verse 13, he says there's another grievous evil under the sun and that is wealth that is lost 
through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there's nothing left for them to inherit. So there's pain that comes from losing wealth too. When you don't have much, there's not that much pain. But when you've accumulated a lot of wealth and you make one bad decision or disaster strikes and you lose it all, there can be great pain. Now, please understand, do not take this to mean God is saying, okay, please do whatever you can to remain poor and that if you have a lot of money, that that is a bad thing. Please don't think that. That is not the point here. The point is this, that if you think money is the solution to all of your problems, take it from Solomon, someone who had it all. He says, no, just understand it has its own set of problems. The third lie, Solomon continues, that those greedy people believe that drive their way of thinking and their way of living. The third lie is this, that my identity is found in my possessions. My identity is found in my possessions. In our culture, man, I think that this is a big one. And I think this is one where we all got to lean in a little bit to this because I think there's so many of us today that, that to some degree or another, we find our identity in what we own. We find our identity in our possessions. Man, look at the apple on the back of my phone. Look at the neighborhood I live in. Look at my house. Look at the car that I drive. Look at the position I have um, at work. Um, I matter. I'm significant. I mean something. And we can try to find our identity in the stuff of this world. And I can tell you, man, that will only lead to frustration. If your identity is rooted in the stuff that you have or have acquired, man, that's just going to lead to frustration and hardship. And just to point out how crazy it is for us to think this way about life, Solomon just kind of bluntly reminds us of some realities. Verse 15, look at what he says. He says, everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. Solomon's reminding us, look, it all stays here. When we die, we take nothing with us just as we entered into the world, so we're going to leave this world. All the stuff we've obsessed over, all the stuff you've spent hours and hours of time researching online, the stuff you've been, you know, searching on Amazon.com forever, just remember all of that stuff stays here. Your gaming system, the golf clubs, the TV, your closet full of clothes, um, all of that stuff, it's not bad stuff. I'm glad you have that stuff, but just understand that when you go, it stays. It doesn't mean you shouldn't own those things. It doesn't mean that you can't have those things. What it means is just don't find your identity in those things. Because ultimately, when it's all said and done, and we stand before God someday, and all of us are going to stand before God someday, there's only one question that truly matters in that moment. And that question is, where have you placed your identity? Where have you placed your identity? Is it in, in stuff? Or is your identity firmly planted in Christ's death on the cross for your sins? Are you a follower of, of Christ that's been redeemed and been forgiven? Or have you placed your identity in the stuff that you own? And I just think, man, every once in a while, we got to slow down for a second. I need to slow down for a second. Just take a look at my heart. Take a look at my life and just say, man, what am I living for right now? What is it that's driving me? What is it that's, that's motivating me? And it's so easy to get caught up in the greed and consumerism of our culture that we forget that our identity needs to be firmly planted in Christ. So do some of us, do we need to, do we need to, need to shift our, our focus and our identity back to Christ? Because possessions will never give us fulfillment. The only thing that will give true and lasting fulfillment is when our identity is found in Christ. 
So these three lies, these three lies that, that Solomon gives us that describe kind of the belief system of those greedy people that money will satisfy my heart, wealth will solve all of my problems, my identity is found in my possessions, right? These are kind of this belief system that, that drives us to always want more. That's a description of those greedy people. But it, it, what's interesting is in this passage, in verse 18, there's a turning point. There's a shift in this passage where Solomon moves from um, not just describing kind of the lies of those greedy people, and he points to a better way, a better way for us to live. And it really leads us into how we are to apply this to our lives today and what this really looks like for us today. And I think it actually helps us come back to really these two foundational questions we want to keep coming back to throughout this series that Drew really set up well, that come right from Matthew 7, verse 3. We got to keep this in mind, remember, when we're thinking about those people. Right, Matthew 7, verse 3, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And what Solomon is about to tell us about this better way of living helps us be able to navigate and think through, okay, is this a speck that I am seeing in somebody else? Am I dealing with a greedy person in my life right now? Or is this something that I'm seeing in me? Is this, is this a plank issue that I need to deal with when it comes to greed in my own life? So as Solomon walks us through these next few verses, we got to keep that in mind. How do we identify the speck? How do we also recognize our own plank? And the first thing, the first better way that Solomon gives us is he tells us this, that money and possessions should always be enjoyed but never worshipped. Money and possessions, they should be enjoyed, but they should not be worshipped. And I think here's what we do. Our tendency and our sinfulness is we take good things and we make them ultimate things. Right? We tend to take things that are good gifts from God. And what we end up doing is we take that gift and we begin to worship that gift. And it becomes the object of our affections and we begin to worship this good gift rather than the giver of that good gift. And God has given us some very good gifts that we have to, we ought to enjoy, just not worship them. Look at what Solomon says in verse 18. He says, this is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life that God has given them. So Solomon here is giving us a picture of someone who is free from the grip of greed. They're content. They're, they're satisfied. He's, he's saying, look, don't get caught up in the crazy pursuit of more and more stuff, right? That's, that's greed. He's saying, enjoy your job. Enjoy the financial blessings and gifts and resources that he has given to you. Enjoy eating. Enjoy drinking. Uh, enjoy all of life and glorify God in it. And that, that's what he's calling us to do. And so I think when we think about this statement, I think a question, the next question we should be asking ourselves is, well, okay, well, how do I know if I've moved from enjoying to worshiping? How do I know if I've taken a good gift from God and now that gift has become where my heart, you know, is desiring? It's, it's the object of my affections. And a question I would just simply ask is this, how tightly do you hold on to things? How tightly do you hold on to things? The things that you own, your, your stuff, your possessions, your money. Do you get nervous about people borrowing your stuff? Do you get nervous when people come over to your house and you're like, don't touch this or don't go to this part of the house, right? Are you generous at sharing and giving things away? And I think sometimes we think, well, as I get more, then I'll be more generous. But we all know that that's not how it works. That's not true. And I think a good indicator of knowing if we've moved from enjoying to worshiping is are we able to share 
these gifts that God has given to us. So have you moved from enjoying to worshiping? I think that's a question we all need to ask ourselves. Another point, the second point that Solomon gives us of a better way of living is this, that gratitude for what I have will quiet the craving for what I don't have. Gratitude for what I have will quiet the craving for what I don't have. And I think it's so easy for us, right, when we see greed, right, when we encounter one of those greedy people and we see greed in someone else, it's so natural and easy for us to begin to crave what they have. Because what we start doing is we start comparing. We look at what we have, we look at what they have, and it breeds this craving for more jealousy, comparison. And remember, just like last week, Drew was talking about how pride is contagious, greed is the same way. Greed is contagious. And it's so easy for us to look at those greedy people in our lives and we begin to desire and crave what we don't have. But if we can begin to be grateful for what we do have, that voice of greed will begin to be silenced in our hearts. And it's going to help us model a better way of living to those greedy people around us. Look at what Solomon says in verse 19. He says, moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. So whatever you have, including the capacity to enjoy life, whether you've been given a lot or a little, whether great or small, just remember all of that is a gift from God. And what's the appropriate response, right, when we receive a gift? We all know this. It's to say thank you. It's to be grateful for those gifts that that have been given to us. And I think if we can live our lives in a spirit of thankfulness every day, recognizing these good gifts that we have been given and all of us, we've all been given so much. I think if we can begin to live in that spirit, man, that greed that once had such a stranglehold on our heart will slowly begin to release its grip and we'll be able to allow gratitude to find its way into our hearts. So we need to continually be grateful for what God has given us, namely, that he's offered us forgiveness of our sins because of Christ's death on the cross. We've been given so much, way more than we deserve. So how do you know? How do you know if you've gone from grateful to greedy? Well, I think the only way to do that is through generosity. I think the only way to model a better way and to evaluate, okay, am I moving from grateful uh, to greedy is through generosity. Generosity is the antidote to greed. Generosity is the antidote to greed. Just like last week, how humility is the antidote to pride, generosity is the antidote to greed. How do we maintain that, that state of gratitude? It's when we realize, man, I don't even own this to begin with. This is all God's stuff. Greed is closed-fisted. It's mine. I, I own it. It's my stuff. Generosity is, I never own these things to begin with. These are just good gifts that God has entrusted to me to steward well. So the only way we break the grip of greed is to give. And the Bible commands us that we're called to be generous and we're called to give towards God and we're called to give to others. We're commanded, we're called to do that. So a question to you is, how are you doing at generosity? How are you doing at being generous towards God? Are you investing in his church? Are you generous financially? Are you generous with your time and the skills and the passions that he's given you? Are you not just consuming, but are you contributing to God's work? How are you doing at giving to other people? How are you doing at stepping in and coming alongside of people and being generous to people, helping them, serving them, meeting needs where you're able to? So generosity is the antidote to greed. And I think the next time for all of us, the next time we feel greed beginning to creep its way into our heart, right? We're thinking, man, if only I could have this. Man, I I hope we'll remember the words of Solomon. Just take a moment to, to look within our heart and just ask ourselves, man, have I moved from enjoying to worshiping? 
Have I moved from gratitude to greed? Greed, it's a matter of the heart, and the only way to break the grip of greed is through generosity. And just think about this. What if Northridge Church could be known as not that church full of those, those greedy people, but what if Northridge Church could be known of, man, those are some generous people at Northridge Church. They step up, and they meet needs, and they are engaged. They're not just thinking about themselves. Man, that church is just full of those generous people. And here's what I know to be true, is that Northridge Church is and does consist of those generous people. Time and time again, Northridge Church, you guys have shown that, and it is a privilege and an honor to be a part of a church that is full of those generous people. But man, our work isn't done. There's still more work ahead of us, so let's continue to strive to not be one of those greedy people, but instead to be one of those generous people. Let me close this with a word of prayer. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the example of Solomon, kind of just shared his reflections on life as a guy who had it all, all this world would seem to offer. And he realized, man, those things, God, you never gave us those gifts to satisfy us or for us to find our worth, value, and contentment there. They're just good gifts, God, that should point to you, the good, gracious giver of those gifts. God, I pray for all of us that as we evaluate our own hearts today and this week and we try to uncover those spots of greed, God, I pray that you would give us, give us the humility to see it, to spot it, And whether or not we have to move from, okay, I need to start enjoying this gift rather than worshiping again, or learn to be grateful for the good things that you've given us, God. I pray that by your spirit, by your strength, you would help us to do that and to model and live out uh, generosity. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.